0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. I don't have the bat anymore, so you can all relax. Uh, We're going to read from the Bible, and I just want to remind you this is God's Word. This is God's Word. This is God's message to you and me. I know I say this often, but I hope you really hear me. This is not something to ignore. This is like the greatest gift you've ever been given. You know, some people do not have a Bible, they're desperate for Bibles. They tear out uh, chapters or even pages in order, that they, in, in order that they might memorize them. We have Bibles all over the place. I hope that we will take advantage of the opportunity that we have. So let's read today from uh, the, God, the uh, book of Acts. We're going to start uh, in chapter 6, and, uh, and then we're going to move into chapter 7. So chapter 6, Acts, uh, verses uh, 8 through 12, and then... Um, We'll move from there. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. Now, just so you know, Stephen goes on and he gives this speech. He gives this talk before the Sanhedrin and he basically recounts uh, sort of the whole story of Israel. Uh, where the, how they've been slaves and how they've been saved and, and how they've been brought into the uh, promised land and how they had uh, grown. And then he starts to kind of push back on them and he starts to say, uh, but you know what? We haven't always listened to what God is saying, is calling us to do. And he, he finally gets down. He really, Stephen is not a politically correct kind of guy. Okay, just so you know this. So here's, here's the end of his speech. Starting in verse 51. You stiff-necked people. Did you hear that? That's not sensitive, okay? You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? This, I'm sorry, this is verse 51 of chapter 7. I apologize. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. And then on to verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit... Looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. Friends, it's rough, but this is the word of the Lord for us today. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that you speak truth through it. Thank you that you inspire us. Thank you that you encourage us. Thank you that you challenge us. We read a passage like today, a faithful person who is persecuted, we ask, wow, what was your plan, God? Lord, we're just grateful for your word, and we pray that as we look at it and study it and think about what you're calling us to do, to be all in, that we will have open hearts and that we will be thankful, ready, desirous of following you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are well into our sermon series uh, this fall, All In, and we've been uh, talking about how God has a plan for your life, for my life. His plan for our lives is that we all be all in for Him. God's plan for us is that we be 100% followers, that we be people who are like, yes, I'm, this is me, I'm here, I'm going to do it, I'm going to follow Christ. And that you really truly become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Not on your own power, some of you have tried that, I've certainly tried that many times on my own power. It's not possible, but in the power of the Holy Spirit coming into you and indwelling you, you can begin to become All in for Jesus. And uh, we've been asking, um, are we consumers of religion or are we followers, disciples of Jesus? It's uh, tempting to become a consumer of religion. It's far more powerful when we begin following Jesus, welcoming him into our life experience of freedom that he offers following him in the hope and the grace that comes from a real relationship with God. Think about that. This is the only place in the world which offers a real relationship with God, the church, the church, and the churches all over the world, praise the Lord. And this is the place where you can receive a real relationship with the living God, the God of the universe. That's powerful. So are we... Merely consumers of religion? Are we just here for what's in it for us or are we folks who are saying, no, I I really want to follow. I really want to be a disciple. I really want to be all in. I'm not just here for me. I'm here for you, Lord. And so we've been flushing that out. We've been talking about how people who are all in are witnesses to the world about how great Jesus is. People who are all in talk about it. They invite their friends. They say, this is serious. This is like what my life is about. They're not ashamed of that. And then we also talked about how people who are all in join together constantly in prayer. People who are all in talk to the God that they have a relationship with. They spend time, they put time aside to say, I really wanna be with the Lord. I wanna listen to God. I also want to talk and pour out my life to him. We talked about how people who are all in practice intentional giving to God. They recognize that everything that they have and own and are Belongs to God, it came from God, it belongs to God, and so therefore, they basically say, It all belongs to you, Lord. So, to remind myself of that, I give a percentage of it back to you. I'm intentional about giving some back to you. It reminds me who's really the owner, who's really in charge. Well, today we're going to look at another aspect of that, but just before we do, I want to actually. Uh, invite up here a friend of mine. We're going to hear a testimony um, from Suzanne Block. Suzanne Block, Pastor Suzanne, is uh, our new district superintendent on the Cornerstone District, so let's give her a hand. Yes? And I just want you to know I'm really sucking up now because Pastor Suzanne is my boss, okay? <laughs> but no, that's, I mean, it, she is my boss, but, but, but I can say honestly, She's genuinely my friend. She uh, followed uh, Pastor Kristen and I at Christ UMC in Olean, and um, uh, so we have experienced uh, leading the same church, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that bonds us. But here before you is a spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, evangelical Christian, okay? I'm just going to say that, all right? All right? so have at it
1: have at it
0: yes
1: i'm worried about the bat if i go over five minutes
0: i'll go down and be near the bat so you won't be yeah
1: good morning good morning the lord be with you
0: and also with you yes
1: i'm going to begin by saying first slide please there are my boys People want to know where my boys always are. I'm a fur mom. The one in the back is Matzah Moses, named after my grandpa, who was Jewish. The one in front is Noodles Elliot. I call Matzah my Old Testament boy, Noodles my New Testament boy. It's just the way it is. I did not come to faith as a child. I was not brought up in the church, and I had a friend When I worked at Veterans Hospital, where I worked for 20 years taking care of the veterans and learned a whole lot about life, she kept inviting me to church. And I kept saying, no, I will never go to church. I will never drive on throughways. And I will never work 12 midnight to 8 a.m. Erase all that, because all of that happened. I don't know how many times she invited me to church. I finally said, if I go, will you stop it? Yes. And that began my journey of faith at the age of 38. I came to know Jesus Christ in an Assemblies of God church where they had an altar call every week. And the night that I decided to give my life to Christ, there was no altar call. So I said, hmm, I found one of the pastors, took me down to this odd room, and this woman said, "You will now speak in tongues." And I said, "I don't think so." <laughs> and then she said, "You begin by going e e e e e," and I said, "Uh uh-uh. uh," and my journey began. Go to the next slide. And so, before I gave my heart to Christ, now this is a 30-minute sermon. I'm doing in five minutes. Amen. just wait. Sometimes the shorter, the better. When we, talk about, when we talk about our priorities in life, as we want to become these faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we have a bunch of these. Now, this, may, this is not all-inclusive, but we love to learn. We go to work. We have friends and health and our own needs and family needs, pleasure, community. Anything not on that slide? I know, faith isn't on that slide because that was not a part of my life. And so I went to hear Billy Graham at Pilot Field. I don't know what it's called today. And Billy Graham said, go to a church closest to you in your neighborhood, and I did. I had a choice of five, two UCCs, a Roman Catholic, a United Methodist, and a Free Methodist. And the only reason I went to the United Methodist Church was because they were serving fish fries. (laughs) And then I started going to church, and I was so thankful. Next slide. Because God now is on the outside of my life. And I went to the church, and there were no children. I was so happy. And then Rally Day happened, and guess what the church filled with? Children. So then I went from the 10 o'clock service to the 815 service because there were no children. And I'm like, this is good. But these people started following me from service to service, and I was getting a little paranoid. And they said, we're your shepherd. We're here to invite you to Bible study. I said, excuse me? Fish fries and Sunday morning are enough. Because I was still working out in that corporate world, being that registered nurse, heading to become an associate chief nurse. God had other plans. Go ahead. And now God is part of family, part of my friends. But I find it interesting that in this, God is slowly moving into my life. Then I started hearing sermons on how you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Excuse me? If I commit my life to Jesus Christ, having been in the world, knowing that being in the world is doing the best you can, climbing over anybody that keeps you away from that next step up, that next race, not caring who I'm knocking off the ladder... Why would I want to commit to Jesus? Because that'll change everything. And my dad told me, if you do that, you'll have no more big cars. You'll have no more friends. You'll have no more money. So why would I commit to Jesus Christ? I'm doing what the corporate world asks. Next slide. Ah, God is now a part of a slice of pie. And I decided that if this was going to happen, I needed to go to seminary. And the, pastor who, the man who was my pastor told me, don't quit your day job. <laughs> Words of wisdom. And I said, okay, if, if God opens the door so that I can work midnights as a nursing supervisor at the VA hospital meaning 12 midnight to 8 a.m., then I can go to seminary. Okay, God, it's up to you. ha. <laughs> Two weeks before seminary started, the door opened. Went to my pastor and said, Well, I'm heading to seminary. I've got the part time nursing supervisor position. And I thought, OK, I can do this. And then after many years, last slide God is in the center of my life. Did all my friends stay from my other life when I was a nurse? No, they left. Or maybe I was the one who changed. Hmm. Did I continue to have a car? Oh, yes. There. Yeah, yeah, you can still have a car. Do I continue to climb the corporate ladder? No. But I say yes to where God wants me to be. So each morning in my life, let me see. Oh, each morning in my life, I start by taking the boys on their walk. And then we come back, they eat breakfast, and I pray, and I read scripture. I wouldn't change a thing about how Jesus has led me from the moment that I became a twinkling light in God's eye to this moment right here at this time. I am a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. I remain centered in scripture, and no matter what happens, our scripture tells us, be strong and courageous. Stand firm in God's word. And Jesus tells us, I will be with you always. Always, even to the end of the age. Has it always been easy? No. But this is, this life as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, fully in, fully committed, is where the good stuff is. Amen. Amen. Close enough? Awesome.
0: All right, a person who chose to go all in, that's huge. And uh, significant life change. Um, Praise the Lord, what a great testimony. Well, we're, we're talking about all in. All in changes your life. And all in is powerful in many ways. It's also challenging because today we're talking about people who are all in are willing to sacrifice on behalf of God, doing whatever God calls them, to do, People who are all in are willing to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus. Now we read this passage that you heard from um, Acts chapter 6 and 7 this morning about Stephen. And we learn at the very beginning that he's a man full of God's grace and power, performing great wonders and signs among the people. That sounds pretty good, right? A man of great, of God's, full of God's grace and power, performing great wonders and signs among the people who could be against this guy. Who could be against him? Well, maybe somebody who's jealous. Uh, maybe somebody who uh, thinks that he has the wrong theology. He's wrong about his beliefs. Folks who believed, I think, uh, in many ways that by lifting up Jesus, he was uh, taking people away from where they should have been focused. We don't know exactly why, but these folks become enemies of, uh, of Stephen. They decide to... Uh, um, basically uh, create a false story about him. They get these people to come together and say, Stephen is this guy who uh, uh, speaks badly about Moses and about God. And they haul him in front of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling religious council uh, of the time. They basically pull him in front of the Sanhedrin and say, you better tell your story. And so, as I told you before, he tells that story, kind of recounts all of what happens uh, to the um, Jewish people. And then he ends up by saying, and you folks are the folks who basically killed Jesus. I mean, he comes right out with it. He says, you know, here's the son of God, and you put him on a cross and killed him. And so they drag him outside and they stone him to death. That's what they did. They dragged him outside and stoned him to death. He ended up sacrificing his life. And you might want to ask, how is the death of this godly man in any way helpful? I mean, how does this help the kingdom of God? Well, the clue is in the very first verse of chapter 8. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. This is not sounding good, right? A great persecution broke out against the whole church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That means on that very day, the church started to spread out. See, before then, they had been focused in Jerusalem. It was more safe in Jerusalem. It was more comfortable in Jerusalem. The temple was in Jerusalem. They were still kind of banding together and saying, we got to be together. And God essentially puts them in a position, a very uncomfortable position, a very sacrificial position, especially for Stephen in which they are thrust out into the world. And you know what? Not that the stoning of Stephen was part of God's plan, but he used an an evil event to propel the church out into the rest of the world. Praise the Lord, because we're not all in Jerusalem right now. And... Over the last 2,000 years, as people have sacrificially, sometimes even given their lives, but certainly given in powerful ways uh, all sorts of t- different things, their time, their money, their resources, that, that as people have shared, as, as people have sacrificed, it has changed the world. The, the, the church has spread across the world. And we have been changed because we have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit because somebody came to us. Somebody was here, right here where we live and said, this is the most important thing in the world. This is God. This is God living in you. This is powerful. You don't want anything else more than you want this. Really, even if you don't know that, really, it's true. This is the most important thing. And so God uses this challenging, awful event especially awful for Stephen to propel and move the church out from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and it keeps going and going and going across the whole world. Here's what I want you to see from Stephen, how his life, his faithful response has been remembered for 2,000 years. We're still remembering his sacrifice today. He witnesses to the lordship of Jesus. He says, "Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God." The Son of Man was Jesus' nickname for himself. Stephen is saying, "Jesus is is God. Jesus is right there at the most honored place. He witnesses to the reality of who Jesus is. He knew what his promised hope was. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. See, he had a powerful hope for eternity. He knew that what was in this world was not the end, that it is the fullness of the next world that is worth living for. Even as we are powerfully transformed in this world, that it's the next that is the fullness of the promise for all of us. He knew what was his promised hope was. And, and, and then finally, he forgave the very people who were killing him. It says, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That should sound familiar to you. Jesus' words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And Saul, who was not yet transformed, who had not yet met Jesus on the road to Damascus, who was there as a Pharisee, was standing At the feet of this place where Stephen was being killed by rocks thrown at him. And they had laid their cloaks at Saul's feet. And you know, I wonder how many times, as Saul suffered later for the gospel, he thought, Wow, Stephen was an example to me. I affirmed that at the time. Now I'm the one receiving the insults, the stones, the struggle. Friends, persecution still does exist in the church today. According to the most recent statistics from Open Doors, which is a group that monitors Christian persecution across the world, every year, 245 million Christians experience a high level of persecution for their decision to follow Christ. That's a 14% increase from the year before. 4,136 Christians were killed for their faith in 2018. 2,625 were arrested and imprisoned without a trial because they were a Christian. These are the the ones we know about. 1,266 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. Now let's just take one statistic and make it a little bit more understandable. Every day, 11 Christians are killed for their faith. Every single day, 11 people will be killed for their faith. Hey, Boughton family, will you stand up? Stand up. Richardson family, will you stand up? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yes. Suzanne, stand up. Alex, stand up. All right, friends. That's 11 people right there. That many people today, today, will be murdered because of their faith. And tomorrow it'll be 11 more. You guys can sit down. Thanks. That's powerful. To know that people are giving their lives for their faith. Friends, that is challenging to me. How serious am I about following Jesus? Where where am I? I hope that causes you to say, Where am I in this? I don't tell you those statistics to scare you because we have God's Holy Spirit living us. We're in the hands of the living God. We have eternal life as our destiny. It's not to scare you. It's not to shame you. There's no guilt in the fact that we aren't suffering in this way at this point, so it's not to shame you. It's not to ruin your day. You may allow that information that you just experienced to shape your day in some way, but it's not here to make you feel bad And it's not here to make you feel helpless because we can respond. We can respond to that information right there. We can pressure, we can work to pressure countries that are bad actors. We can do that politically. We can give financially to support needy people. But friends, the most important thing we can do is we can pray. We can sacrifice our time to set a little bit of time aside each day to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling in these ways. We can pray for their rescue. We can pray that if they're not rescued, that they would be emboldened to face the challenges that they do. We can pray that they will be emboldened to share the good news with the people who are their captors, because we have many stories of folks who shared the good news with the people that were torturing them and those people eventually came to christ we can pray that god will bring about the kingdom of god in their countries we can just pray that they will have the strength they need for life and remember that they pray for us because so often we get reports from folks who are persecuted across the world saying we pray for you because we have to be serious about our faith it could cost us our life you don't have to be serious you could just kind of blow it off one more day you know you could kind of set it aside one more time say, "Yeah, I know that's important, but you know, the bills are playing." They are. I can't wait. Squish the fish. <laughs> but but I can also pray. I can also I can also say uh eh. I'm going I'm to begin to take this more seriously. I'm not going to set it aside. I'm not going to set my relationship with God into a, a subservient place. I'm going to put it in its prioritized, greatest, most important place. They pray for us because we're tempted to set it aside. Those who are all in are willing to sacrifice whatever they sense God is asking them to sacrifice because they recognize that the gravity and depth and reality of the situation calls us as Christians to be all in. We're all part of the great gospel story. The story of broken people who are made whole. The story of messed up people who receive freedom. That's our story, and we have the joy of sharing that story with others. You heard Suzanne share it with you today about her life, and so I just, I just wanna end with this question. I just wanna ask you this question. What are you sacrificing for God? What of your own desires are you setting aside in order to be obedient to the call of God in your life? And you know, friends, if your answer is, well, God hasn't really called me to do that, um, I would say, hey, read your Bible. It's got a lot of good news and it's got a lot of challenging news in there as well. No one is exempt from the call. God always begins to push us away from our comforts and towards his greater plan for our lives. God is like the piano teacher that you come back to and you didn't practice at all that week and doesn't let you off the hook, but says, uh, no. No. This is unacceptable. God is like the coach who says, take another lap and another and do another sprint. Why? Because I want you to be stronger so that when we play in the game, you'll be ready and we can win. God will push us. It's a normal thing that God will find that place in our lives, which is our own little idol, and begin to push on that. Where's God pushing on that in your life? What is he pushing on? What is he saying would you sacrifice even that for me? It's a powerful thing to learn to sacrifice for God. It's empowering, it's life-giving, it's deeply joyful. People describe it as, wow, it's like I came alive. My experience is that every time God pushes me to sacrifice and I don't do it, I, ugh, I just feel like, And when I do do it, I'm like, this is the best. I'm so into this. Following God is so amazing. Friends, we want to live the second way, not the first. So what is your sacrifice? What is costing you right now? Is there anything? Is it the same thing as it was five or 10 years ago? Might God be calling you? to a deeper sense of sacrifice? What do you sacrifice right now that if you didn't, you'd have more of something else like money or time or power or concerts or stuff? or You'd have more of that, but you'd have less of God. What is that in your life that you're tempted to think is more important than having the fullness of God? Do you really want to settle for it? Let's pray. God, you are so great to us. And we know that you call us to sacrifice. Some of us know what it is right now. Some of us are wondering. Some of us are living into it. God, I pray for anybody who's wondering that you will reveal it to them. And I pray that for anyone who knows what it is, oh God, help us all. Help us to want to do it. To give it to you. To discover that awesome feeling, that wonderful joy of being all in for you in sacrifice. Do that powerful work in us today, Lord. Help us to remember those who are sacrificing even their lives this very day. Help us to remember them in prayer. Thank you that they remember us in prayer. And as we go out today, Lord, we proclaim nothing is worth having less of you. Nothing. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.